So we've been talking about um, Holy Spirit over the last little while. We've been uh, just uh, trying to unpack a little bit about what it means to be a spiritual people. Um, I do feel, and I, I shared with the church, that for a large part of the church today, um, you can be born again and you can have Holy Spirit and to still be carnal. In other words, you can still want your inheritance separate from God. You can still want to come to your daddy and say to him, I want my inheritance and I want it now. And you can take your inheritance and you can go off and you can waste it in this world. And there's far too many prodigal sons in the church. So my heart is I want to, I want to, kind of encourage the church, stir the church up, that we were called to be spiritual people and what that looks like and what that means to us. And so I wanna um, kind of continue along that vein. If you haven't been here for a while, please go and look at uh, www.247church.co.za. It's our website and the sermons are all on there and they kind of are flowing in a sequence. And so this morning, I'm just gonna launch off from that. I haven't got time to go back and unpack uh, or even... Uh, uh, emphasize some of the things that we have said. So if it's not connecting any dots, just go back and remind yourself and then uh, you'll understand this morning. This morning I've called it a more excellent way and uh, it's the way of love. Um, but the subtitle is called Obedience is Better Than Sacrifice. And uh, when we uh, look at the, and study the Word of God, we come to a simple conclusion. We were ne never meant to live without the Holy Spirit. As the people of God, we were never meant to live without the Holy Spirit. And even in Jesus' life, who is our example, Jesus says, as I am, so are you in this world. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As we were made in his in image and we conformed to his image, uh, even Jesus, a wonderful illustration to us, understanding uh, to us about how he went about and journeyed in life um, and then got baptized in water and then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he went out and he was led by the, uh, Luke chapter four, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit and began to do signs, wonders and miracles. And uh, we, were, we were never meant to live our lives without Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, it says this, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, he dwells with you and will be in you. And we know that Pentecost had not come yet, so the Holy Spirit was with them, but the Holy Spirit was not in them yet. So he said, he'll be with you, but he will also be in you when he comes upon you. But he said, I wanna pray for a helper to come. And then he goes on to tell them that they mustn't leave the city, they mustn't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes, right? Luke chapter 24, verse 49, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So even Jesus was emphasizing to them that the Holy Spirit, they need Holy Spirit and He's upon them, but He's gonna come and live inside of them. But not just that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and live inside of them, but they are not to go anywhere until that happens. Right? Amen. So that was kind of the outworking um, and the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts chapter two birthed the church and turned everything upside down or it's right way up. Amen. As we shared this morning, as we sang songs, it's an understanding that after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came upon them, the church looked completely different. 
people. They were just normal people walking around. And uh, John the Baptist baptizes them. They come to Jesus and they surrender their lives to Jesus and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. They are completely different. They are called Christians because their whole lifestyle, their way of thinking, their way of operating just changed. And so we can see in Acts chapter 17, you can go and look at it in verse 6 as well, is that this church that was going out in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church from Antioch to go and minister and go to different places, get people saved, set up churches, power of God's all moving, things are happening and flowing. It is so radical, it's so amazing that we find in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul and Silas now is his companion, and as he's ministering, he goes to Thess- Thessalonica, goes into the synagogue, shares the gospel, people are getting saved, people are getting healed, and then the people becomes an uproar in the city because they're so angry with these people because they're just too good. They're too nice, they're too powerful, they're too wonderful. Things are happening. They get so intimidated, so scared that they go to Jason's house where Paul was staying, he's not there. They grab Jason and some of the fellow believers, take them before the, the, the people of authority and they say, these people who have turned the world upside down have now come here. Woo! Something happened, church, that turned the whole world upside down, which was actually the right way up. These people were different. They were powerful. They were full of Holy Spirit. They were amazing. They were wonderful. They were very intimidating to the enemy. Come on, this is the Bible, church. Not some fairy story. This is the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, and if there's a gap, we've got to go and cry out before God and ask Him to fix the gap. Amen. We're just coming to church and sitting there on a Sunday and going through life without any power, without any authority, without any power and, and the love of God changing lives, ministering to people. If we're not living differently and operating in a different thinking, a different understanding, friends, then we have not understood the gospel. Come on, I'm just telling you the truth. And I'm just saying we're either going to believe the truth, friends, or go live a lie. But if we believe the truth here this morning, friends, we've got to close the gap. We're going to say, God, help us to get an understanding of how these two things are meant to be together. We as the people of God, if we haven't got the Holy Spirit, the fire of God inside of our lives, if we haven't got a burning desire to get out there to Nepal, even though I can't because I've got constraints, but the desire burns inside of me. Friends, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. And we've got to say, I've got Holy Spirit burning inside of me. I've got Holy Spirit inside of me. There ought to be that, friends. If I'm caught up in the mundane things of life, friends, if life isn't treating you well, friends, and you're caught up in all of that, friends, then we haven't understood the gospel. Because the gospel is way bigger than the ordinary things of life. It consumes our hearts and lives. We are different people, friends. Of course, does God care and as you want to operate and work and all of that? Come on. Leaving behind the elementary principles. He loves me or he loves me not. He sent his son, the darling of heaven. He sent everything. He sent himself. We need not ever think, does he love me? Of course he loves me. He's for me. He wants the best for me. So why is there a gap, Grant? 
We've got to fill that gap because we're coming to God like a watering trough. I think we've got to bring him buckets of water. We've got to bring him things. We've got to bring when he wants us to come there and say, I've got nothing to bring except my heart and obedience, Lord. I just want to bow and drink from you. And when you drink from those living waters, friends, when your life is surrendered to him, nothing is impossible to them that believe. To truly believe, friends, is to let everything else go, to say no to everything else and yes to God. We cannot come to Jesus. We cannot be transformed into his image. Do you know that you cannot even come to Jesus? You cannot be transformed into his image, be filled with his power, be his body, his hands and feet without Holy Spirit. But friends, to come to Jesus, to be transformed into his image, to be filled with his power, to be his hands and feet and to be his body, it requires power. Because listen to what my Bible says. The work that he sent us to do, Mark chapter 16, I'm just gonna read Mark 16 verses 15 to 18, which is the commission that he sent us out to do. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. The whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Friend, that's a great promise for you when you drink your water every day. They will drink things and it won't even hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Friends, you can't do that without power. You and I cannot operate and cannot do the commission that God's given to us without His power, without Holy Spirit. The reality, friends, this morning is that God does not want to destroy your and my personality. He created every single one of us different, uniquely. We've got different fingerprints. We look different. We are completely different, every single one of us. And God is not wanting to come now and just make you a bunch of robots. He's not wanting to just destroy your personality. Amen? God does not want us to be a people void of thoughts, feelings, and decisions. He yearns for us to think what He thinks, to feel what He feels, and to desire what He desires. The Holy Spirit is not a substitute for us thinking, feeling, and our desires. Friends, just like I shared with you, we are spirit, soul, and bodies. God created us like that. And the soul area is our mind, our will, and our emotions. God is not wanting to come into our lives for Holy Spirit to rule and reign. And just because He has authority and control over our souls doesn't mean that we lose our personalities. There's far too many Christians walking around with no personality. I'm working hard to make you laugh this morning. I am really working hard. Friends, this is church. This is not a funeral. This is not a morgue. This is church. You can smile. We must think, 
feel and desire, but all according to God's will. The difference between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the enemy or the devil is that the Holy Spirit moves people themselves to work. The Holy Spirit mobilizes us to go do work. Never setting aside our own personality. He loves us. He created us like that. We're unique. We're wonderful. We're beautiful. He loves our personality, friends. He wants to operate through that. So he mobilizes us. There's no one like Grant. So he mobilizes Grant to go do the work of the ministry. Why is the enemy different, friends? The enemy, friends, wants to immobilize Grant. He wants to make me passive, inactive, so that he can operate. He wants to make me a robot. That's the difference. When you see a person demon-possessed, friends, the, the demon is in total control. And he's operating, and the person has become passive and inactive. But that's the difference between the Holy Spirit, friends. The Holy Spirit, God created, if you, and Ben shared it, God created uh, nature and creation, friends, and everything in nature and creation has been pre-programmed. It operates exactly according to the program. The only thing that is different, friends, is us. Mankind. God didn't make us robots, friends. He made us with feelings, emotions. He made us with desires, with a will. Because he's not, he doesn't want us to lose our personality. He wants us to allow him to use our personality for his will and his purposes and his plans. He wants your yes. He doesn't want a robot. Satan wants a robot. He wants you to become inactive, passive, and do nothing and let him operate, friends. The sad thing is even as Christians, we can never be possessed, but we can certainly be oppressed. There's some Christians that have gone passive and inactive, and it feels like all that is operating is the demonic. See, the challenge is, friends, what we're called to do while kings were meant to go to war. A king was passively inactive. As the people of God, friends, we've got to be active because we are people of faith. Faith is an action, friends. It's an active demonstration. It's a doing word for the teachers. So what's the dilemma? The dilemma is God created us with choice and he will not override that choice, but he will only work in us if we give him our yes and amen. So I wanna talk this morning for a very short time about obedience is better than sacrifice. And that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you quickly turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'll read it very quickly. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in, in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Paul summoned the people, numbered them in Telium, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, 
The go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And, he said to, and Saul said to him, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then do you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, um, of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned and I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you from this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. Just stay with me. It's important, the whole story. And I may bow, that I may bow before the Lord God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the people, before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring uh, here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made woman childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gilbeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. Samuel grieved over Saul. I read the whole story because it's important, the whole story. Let me just quickly catch you up and give you a quick context on it. 
when Israel came out of Egypt through the wilderness, um, when God brought them out of the wilderness, the Amalekites attacked them. You can go read it, Exodus chapter 17. Uh, you can read how, uh, how they did attack them also in Deuteronomy 25, uh, verses 17 to 19. I'll just read that to you quickly. Um, Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as, as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. When they were tired, they'd been in the desert and wandering and they were thirsty. Uh, then the Amalekites attacked them while they were down, while they were weak. And cut off at your rear all who lagged behind you. They did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around about you in the land which the Lord gives you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So here these Amalekites have been very naughty and evil. Israel come out of Egypt. They were tired walking through the desert while they were weak. As the stragglers were at the back, the Amalekites attacked and killed all the weaklings. And, 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 and they did it deceitfully. And God said, I'm not going to forget. One day I'm going to annihilate the Amalekites. Amalekites in the Bible speaks of sin. By the way, if you didn't know. So it was time now, God said, it's time now to deal with these Amalekites. It's the first king of Israel, his name is Saul, and so God gives the responsibility to Saul to kill these Am Amalekites. If you can, you can read there in chapter 15, verse two and three, I will punish what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and infant and suckling and ox and sheep and camel and ass. They had to go and kick ass. So Saul gathered his army and went against the city of Amalek. He warned the Kenites, don't you love that? Because the Kenites were, they did, they did nice to God, that he warned the Kenites, get out of the way, I'll kill you as well, but gave them a chance to get out the way. God just said, kill the Am Amalekites. So they run away and he kills the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, east of Egypt, right? But then verse nine describes a different picture. It says, but Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. And all that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. And God looked down, saw their disobedience and he was, he regretted ever having made Saul king. And Samuel is angry at this and, and, and he, he kind of, the whole night is crying out and praying because he's the one who anointed Saul. And, but eventually, obedience is better than sacrifice. Samuel goes to do the will of the Lord. So Samuel goes off. He rises early in the morning. He goes to find out where Saul is. He finds out that Saul's gone to Carmel and he set up a monument to himself. And then he proceeded to Gilgal where he was made king. So Samuel goes to meet Saul. And you can read it in verse 13. As I read this morning, Saul says, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Samuel asks in verse 14, What the sound of the bleating sheep and the lowing of oxen means if Saul really destroyed everything as God had said. And then you'll see in verse 15, Saul then blames it on the people. He says, they have brought them up from the Amalekites. The people, they spared the best of the sheep. 
But eventually, Samuel can't take any of this. He has to say, stop. Stop speaking. Stop your nonsense. And listen to the voice of the Lord. And we read in verse 24 where Saul says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words. So what I wanna do is just quickly pick out five things this morning and say this. Why does God love obedience and why does he love obedience better than sacrifice? There are five things in the story that we'll just quickly pick on this morning. The very first one is because God is a jealous God and he alone is to be feared. And when we obey God, friends, we say yes to him and no to everything else. Quickly, if we read in the story, in verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Why did Saul obey the people instead of God? Because he feared the people instead of God. He feared the human consequences of obedience more than he feared the divine consequences of sin. He feared the displeasure of the people more than the displeasure of God. Number two, when we're obedient, friends, then it's a life that's surrendered and submitted to God's plan, God's purposes, and God's will. When we're disobedient, friends, the second truth in here is that we have a misplaced pleasure. We don't fear the Lord and we don't find Him satisfying. Where do I get that from? Saul tried to persuade Samuel that it was a noble intention that led him to disobey God and that he had kept the best sheep and the oxen alive so that he could go sacrifice them. The Lord gave Samuel an insight and understanding, and we see this in verse 19. Samuel says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? That word swoop, swoop there, if you go and study it in the um, uh, Hebrew, you'll find out whenever God said swoop was when they were, um, they, they, they were more interested in the spoil. They were more interested, they swooped in, they were uh, envious and jealous and wanted all the stuff for themselves. So that's what he's saying here. They swooped down on the spoil like hungry birds eager to fill their bellies. You, you can go look at it in, in, even in chapter 14, 1 Samuel 14, verse 32, how the people swooped on the spoil when the Philistines, when they, they, they defeated the Philistines. When Samuel in, in verse 19 says, why did you swoop on the, on the spoil? He's implying that the people were driven by an overwhelming desire for the pleasures of those things. Because how many of you know that when you sacrifice an animal, you get to eat the meat? They were delighted more in the meat of sheep and oxen than they were in the fellowship and the enjoyment of God. Number three, there was a misplaced praise. Disobedience, friends, takes your focus off where it should be and puts it on a wrong arena. When Saul had defeated the Malachites, the first thing he did was build himself a monument in verse 12. He set up a monument to himself. Evidently, Saul was more interested in getting a name for himself than in making a name for God. 
We can read, you can read it here where in verse 17 and 18, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent, Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the Amalekites, fight against them. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? In, verse, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, I haven't got time to go there, just for you to understand that Saul was amazed that God would choose him. He was the least of the tribes, and he was the least in the tribes. So he was the least, which is Benjamin is the smallest tribe, and then he was the least in the tribes. So here God goes and chooses Saul. He's the least, and you are the smallest. But here now, when God tells him to go and do something for him, Friends, instead of being obedient, friends, in his disobedience, his attention is taken off. Even though he's small and God has made him great and made him king, he still wants to go and put his praise on himself and make his own monument. Number four, disobedience is as a sin of divination. This is exactly from the word of God. You can go and read it in verse 23. Um, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. And if you, you can read Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, it says there that there shall not be found among you any of you who burn his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practice divination, soothsaying. So God puts divination right in the most scornful, most horrific uh, sins that you can think of. It says, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So why is rebellion or disobedience as the sin of divination? Divination is seeking to know what to do in a way that ignores the word and the counsel of God, right? Kind of, instead of listening to the counsel and the word of the Lord, we go and try and find uh, some other way. Uh, that is exactly what disobedience is based on. God says one thing and we say, I will consult another source. Guess who the other source is? Ourselves. So you go, we go and consult ourselves. So it's exactly like divination. Instead of listening to the counsel and the word of the Lord, we go and find another source of wisdom and most of the time it's ourselves. And then number five, disobedience is our idolatry. Uh, also in verse 23, it says rebellion is a sin of divination and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Why is it idolatry, friends? Not only do we go and find another source of wisdom uh, to ask what, what we should do in this situation, but we have the audacity to lift that source up way above God. Amen. Are you with me? So we go. What is divination, friends? I go to a soothsayer, to a fortune teller, tell me about my future. What do you think? What are you gonna say? Oh, I'm gonna meet a dark, handsome man and he's gonna do this and do that or whatever. Same, friends, if we come before the Lord, the Lord speaks and we say, no, let me go and inquire of myself. What's my own wisdom? Let me think about it. I went to varsity. I'm quite educated. I was a fisherman. I know how to fish. What's even worse, or just as bad as that, friends, is that we listen to our advice. And we say, that sounds really good, that's wonderful. We now elevate ourselves as an idol above God. So pulling this all together this morning, I'm landing. Why do we find it easier to sacrifice? And why is obedience better than sacrifice? I'll tell you why. Because when we sacrifice, friends, we are in control. When you're obedient before the Lord, you have to let go of control. Control. 
That's why, friends, if you, if you chat to a rich person, and please, anybody, don't take offense. You might say, well, that's not me anyway. But if you chat to a rich person, the rich person will find it much easier to sacrifice and to say, listen, you know what? And it is a sacrifice because they could use the money, and it's true. But you know what? Here's 100,000 rand for your church. Or here's half a million rand. Or here's a million rand. Because they're still in control. And although it's a sacrifice and it does hurt, they can do that. But God's not asking for that, friends. He's asking for obedience. Because every single month for a rich person, friends, to hand over 10% means he's not in control and he hates that. That's why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not hard, actually, it's impossible. It requires the miracle of God. By the way, because it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, because in Israel there's a gate where this camel, and you've got to take everything off the camel for it to squeeze through, and it has to get on its knees and it has to go through. That's all the biggest load of hogwash you will ever hear in your life. There's no such gate in Israel, and there's no such camel that can get down on its knees and squeeze through a gate. The reality is, friends, what Jesus is trying to say is the smallest thing in a house is a little hole of a needle. And the biggest thing in, in Israel was a camel, friends. And the biggest thing cannot get through the smallest hole. He was trying to tell you what's in, because just after that he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. It's impossible for a rich man. And we are rich men, by the way. You just have to go to Nepal and you'll realize how rich you really are. But the reality is, friends, it's impossible for a rich man. Only through Jesus can any of us actually enter into the kingdom of heaven and experience what God has for us. But God, what God is looking for here at church is not some sacrifice or some big thing. Because what's another thing about sacrifice very quickly? Sacrifice is, is once off. Sacrifice can be seen. Sacrifice is an arrogant act. Sacrifice, friends, will never kill King Agag. And if you understand that the Amalekites depict sin, sacrifice will never kill the king in your life. Obedience, friends. Samuel. And if you might think, sometimes the Bible is short. Obedience, friend, takes the sword and hacks that king. Hacks that king. Zero tolerance. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice, friends, still leaves us unchanged and room to move. Obedience leaves you surrendered with nothing else but a humble heart And what God is looking for is a humble and contrite heart. So this morning it stands to reason that God will be displeased with disobedience because at every point is an attack on his glory. Right? It puts the fear of man in the place of the fear of God. It elevates pleasure in things above the pleasure of God. It seeks a name for itself instead of a name for God. It consults the wisdom of self instead of being satisfied with the will and the wisdom of God. It sets more valuable 
and more esteem on ourselves than on God. But obedience being the exact opposite, it enthrones and it honors God. It's a life surrendered, it's a life yielded, it's a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I'll have to go on and do the other part this morning, uh, next week, but I wanna encourage us this morning. And I want us to say, even though this is an Old Testament, taken into the new uh, context of the New Testament and there's, there's, there are scriptures in the New Testament to back it up, which we'll do next week. But I want us just to understand this morning the big picture of what God is trying to do and what He's trying to say to us. What He's trying to say to us, friends, is that when we gave our lives to Him, when the Holy Spirit came and took over our lives, we surrendered all. Amen. He has our everything. He has our all already. It's all His. He's not looking for us to come and sacrifice and oh, by the way, I'll just give that there and, and give that there. No, He gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave His life. He sacrificed everything for us, friends. What He's asking for is obedience. We were created in His image. We have a will. We have emotions, we have feelings, we have a personality. He wants us to yield to Him. He wants to use our personality and our will. He doesn't want robots. He wants the people that are yielded to Him, that are saying yes to Him and allowing Him to operate and move in our lives through the power of Holy Spirit. Amen. So as a church today, as I pray, it's to ask ourselves, we need to go back and listen to this, that's why I needed to finish it. Ask yourself the simple question, am I still in control of my life? Am I still about doing things for God? Am I still about being seen by man? Do I still, do, do I still elevate the fear of man above the fear of God? Do I still want the pleasures of this life above the pleasure of God? Because any of those things, friends, will stop you and I from being obedient. But God is a, a, a mountain stream. He's the all-sufficient one. We just come, we kneel down, and we come and we drink from Him, we yield to Him. I said last week, there's only one thing that we come and offer Him, that's our obedience. And when we offer Him our obedience, friends, we close the gap. Because a yielded life, friends, is a powerful life. A yielded life is a fulfilled life. I wanna even say prophetically this morning, I wanna encourage you and say the fear of the Lord is coming back into the church. And when the fear of the Lord comes, friends, we yield our lives because we're not interested in the fear of man, we're just interested in Him. And so as a church, we wanna operate in the power and the presence of God. We wanna go after things. We wanna go and minister and bring life, friends. And the gap has to close, friends. And the gap is simply, friends, a yielded and surrendered heart and surrendered life. If we're not, friends, then we might be sacrificing, but we're not operating in the presence and power of Holy Spirit. Where you can pick up serpents, where you can drink deadly poison, and it will no means harm you. Where you can lay hands on the sick, we can go preach the gospel to the whole world. There is an army arising, friends. It's an army of spiritual people that are anointed by the power and the wind of God. Because as I shared this morning, friends, we cannot do this without Him. 
But you ask yourself the simple question. It's not heavy, friends. It's just simply us as a church asking a simple question. Can I do this without any help from God? How's my life going? Is there anything in my life where I feel inadequate and can't do it? Because friends, if we were operating by the Holy Spirit, we can't do this, friends. I can't heal the sick. Only He can. So I put myself in the place, friends, where only He can. Amen. That's what we do as Christians. We put ourselves in a surrendered place of being obedient because if we're obedient, when God speaks, friends, He always puts us in a place where you have to drink from the fountain. You have to drink from the mountain stream. There's nothing else but Him. Amen. Shall we stand? I've landed. Let's pray. Father, I, I can spit and I can shout all day long up front here. It's not by might, not by power, it's by the Spirit of God. Father, I cannot change anyone's heart. I cannot do anything, Father, other than share the word of truth and ask that you would come and you would help us to know truth because it's the truth that will set us free. And dear God, do we need to be set free. Father, we live in the most amazing times, yet the most challenging times. We live in an environment right now, Lord God, where there's so much going on in this country, Lord, where there's so much lies and deceit, Lord God, where there's so much underhanded stuff and conniving, Lord God, and under the table, where there's so many calling themselves Christians, yet their lives are speaking something else. In the midst of all of this, Lord, you're asking us to arise as your people and to shine where your light has come. And the Lord has risen upon you. And darkness, deep darkness will cover the peoples of this earth. But we shall arise as spiritual people, as the light of this world, to shine so brightly, Lord God, as a people saturated, filled by Holy Spirit, as a people led by Holy Spirit, the true sons and daughters of God, being led by Holy Spirit, allowing Holy Spirit to enable us to do the mandate that we were called to, which is to preach the gospel to all creation, to lay hands on the sick, cause them to recover, to cast out demons, cast out demons, to set the captives free. Lord, we cannot do this without you and without Holy Spirit, Lord, and the gap that's in our lives. My heart's cry today, church, if you feel there's a gap in your life, it's because of this. Narrow the gap down by asking the Lord to help us. Help us to surrender and yield to Him totally and allow Holy Spirit to lead us and to only say yes to that which is Him. In Jesus' name. Will you help us, Lord? I ask this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.